Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Richard, we are both so sorry. <laughs> I thought you didn't love me. Oh my gosh! Listen, this—this this, I was just telling Dave once before we had a corrupt file. Like, uh, it, it, yeah. it is such out of two hundred episodes, and we felt horrible. And we didn't—we didn't tell Monica and Steve because Monica would have killed me to. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she's tough. You better watch out. Yeah, exactly. So, so if she's listening to this podcast, oh yeah, she'll, she'll cause know because we're, we're on. So, okay, so let's just jump right into this. So, um, we're 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 eating crow right now because uh, Richard Sommer was a uh, an amazing interview that Dave you and I had. I don't know a number of months ago, and the file got corrupted. So we could have listened to it, but it would have been more like for about 20 minutes. I don't know how many people would want to hear that. So here we are, round two. Richard, thank you so much for coming back onto the Boiling Point podcast. Really appreciate your time. We recognize how busy uh, you are at uh, University of Toronto as the Dean of Architecture. So welcome back, my friend. Has, has anything changed since last time we spoke? Uh, we're chugging along here. Um, you know, we... we moved into this new building that uh, occupies an amazing landmark site uh, on, on the on north-south axis in Toronto. It's called One Spadina Circle. It's one of the most landmark sites in the city that was in disrepair. And so one of the big projects I've been involved with has been to rescue this site and uh, transform it for this uh, faculty, which is, which is architecture, landscape architecture, urban design, and actually visual art as well. So um, we've been having a kind of, I call it a golden locks uh, year where we're kind of trying the building out and moved in uh, about 1,200 students. So that's been keeping us busy. Lot, lots going on then. You've been busy. Yeah. You've been busy. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you, Richard. It's, um, it's Dave here. Um, do you, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember a lot, many parts of our conversation, our last conversation. Um and um, and it was it was quite enjoyable, and that's why it was really disappointing to hear that we uh, the file got corrupted. Um, and we you know again appreciate you coming back. But I'm just like you know if we if we go back to that conversation, you know you had some really interesting thoughts on you know just what um, you know going to the school like an architecture school can do to supporting people you know thinking differently in both business and entrepreneurship and not necessarily architecture yeah. as a as a trade yeah yeah and and, yeah. and that was that was a that was a key theme and I, I as i recall in the conversation um i'd love for the listeners just to hear that perspective cuz i'd like to get right back to that cuz cuz i i really you know actually you know this gives you know selfishly a chance to to dig in a little deeper but um, you know, so so maybe you can share your perspective on this on this area. Well, I think I think the interesting thing is you know, people would think about architects and they think, well, they design the buildings. But one way of uh, thinking about the field is this term, the way the way in which people actually use the term um, architecture. Because people would say, well, architecture, and you're talking about you know some 
grand building by Frank Gehry, but they also use the term architecture of, you know, the uh, or the architect of. So, you know, Secretary of State is the architect of the peace plan. Um, and that's a way of, of explaining that architecture isn't just about uh, making physical things, although uh, you learn a lot by studying and doing that, but it's also about a systematic way of thinking. And this is, you know, this term, for example, design thinking, uh, took a, taken over some of the business schools in the last decade, like wildfire, which is really, design thinking is something architects have been doing since the Renaissance, and it involves thinking laterally across different media, scale, systems, um, and that's, I think, what, what's really important for people to understand that architects, some of them go into designing buildings and cities and landscapes, but many have done things um, in many other fields that have been, especially in the recent generations, uh, revolutionary. The, 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 the person who created the uh, uh, TED Talks is an architect. And his, his goal in that was to, to bring together people in technology, media, and entertainment. This is before the Internet. This is the early 1980s, right? Um, he's a guy who studied with, um, in Philadelphia, where I grew up, with a very famous, very high, you know, highly regarded um, kind of artistic architect, Louis Kahn. But he was, uh, this guy, um, uh, Saul Lerman, uh, Richard Saul Lerman, was always interested in maps and systems. So he, he for example, created um, these access guides to cities, uh, which, again, before, before Google Maps, before Yelp, uh, were a way of guiding people through cities to get services that was, you know, use the architect's mind to, do, to, to open up a whole new um, way of using a city. So that's just one example. In our faculty, we have many graduates who have gone into, um, you know, health uh, care, uh, infrastructure provision. We have one uh, one uh, alum who teaches at the school that um, his family, I guess, was in was in the garment business, but he's been an innovator in branding and in, in real estate, and is really one of the pioneers in what's a very hot business now, and that's the marijuana business. Um, so, uh, and and he'll tell you if you ask him his name, Lauren Gertner, uh, how his training as an architect uh, has allowed him to to do these these. Um, these kind of very innovative business projects. So, what, what you know, for people that aren't familiar with or haven't experienced being at an architecture school, what is it about that experience that helps uh, that that you know kind of become, you know um, starts to bleed into other areas and and helps support you know being creative in in, in other aspects, so like you know, like creating TED talks and, and such. Well. It starts with a, a experience, more experience-based learning than you get in some other fields. You know, really? there is there are a set of tools and practices, for example, you would learn in studying engineering or in other fields that are that are very um, empowering. In architecture, you you, you do start by studying certain um, physical aspects of the world, but it's it, you know if, if you're looking at let's say just for example the design of a library, right? You have the organizational system of the books. You have the, the you have the library function as a community center. You have the the responsibility of that building to to fit in or to relate to all the structures around it. You have all the you know the structural problems of actually you know forming and holding that building up. You have the question of um, of its image and the uh, the the its ability to impress or to draw people in. 
you know, uh, as a design exercise, you would have to address all those things, which, which you know, draw on history, they draw on sociology, they draw on, on, uh, on, on statics and engineering. Uh, there are very few fields that, that, would, that would cause you to think that laterally uh, about doing it, 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 it through their pedagogy or through the educational system. I think that's really that interesting. Sense? Yeah, yeah I, I was, I was thinking it's almost holistic in a way. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's it's broader thinking than a specific domain is the way I'm hearing it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would also say uh, this is this is part of a conversation I have often. Is I do consider myself an artist um, in a lot of different mediums. Like I'm I'm a musician. I uh, I I write. I I paint. You know, there's different avenues of art that I practice. You're a lateral thinker. I'm a lateral thinker, but I'm also <laughs> an entrepreneur who yeah. builds business. Now, in any business schools, and uh, you know, discussions around business that I've had, and I've been in many different cohorts of different types of business uh, development uh, programs and whatnot, we don't talk about art in entrepreneurship. And it's so crazy because being an entrepreneur is being an artist and um, you are it's just that your medium is your your business is the you know how it shows up in the economy, and um, I think it's similar to what you're talking about um, when people think that you know architecture is more of that engineering you know b- building planning on a building. No, it's so much more, and that's what I tell other entrepreneurs or artists about each other. Say entrepreneurs are artists, and artists uh, are entrepreneurial. <laughs> you know so. I, I think there's some parallels there to, to what, what you're talking about. Uh, does that resonate at all, uh, Richard? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, it's the ability to kind of resolve things that are, that are unlike each other and in, in some ways to think metaphorically. That, that, that's the heart of creative, creative work, right? So, you know, can, can a map of one thing reveal, uh, reveal uh, something else or... Um, uh, so how how do you bring opposing ideas together uh, in, in a kind of pragmatic way and uh, synthesize them into something larger? So it, it involves uh, you know integrating as I as I described in a very kind of straightforward, somewhat straightforward architectural problem. If you're designing a library, you have to integrate all these different and sometimes competing forces. And you know some some architects even working in a more conventional mode will emphasize one aspect more than the other. And, and so the success of what they do, uh, you know, whether you emphasize, let's say, the relationship to the community or the, or the, uh, the quality of the construction, right? There are some architects that, you know, they make beautiful things, they may be a little bit off-putting, right? So uh, I think that um, you, 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 in business, uh, entrepreneurs are people who make, who are able to make analogies uh, between things that other people haven't thought of, right? So, so uh, whether whether that's in food. So, for example, we have we have uh, some alumni who have been very uh, successful in the food business. We have uh, uh, someone who graduated from architecture here about 15 years ago, who has a, a business here called Cultura uh, Fortuna, which is, he comes from a family of, uh, of bakers. Uh, and if you go into their uh, into the bakery he has, um, there's several qualities about. First of all, 
he's constructed it with a window so you can always see into the activity of making of making the, the bread and the cookies and the biscuits, um, but also the presentation of the work and the way in which the bread is um, prepared and presented is extremely architectural. Uh, you know, the way it's cut is very much the way you uh, you would. Um, cut through a building when you're studying it and designing it, what we call the building section, right? So it's very, it's, it's fascinating how this person who actually practiced architecture went back to what had been done for generations before him, but brought the mind of the architect not only to the making of the product, but to the way in which he, you know, uh, sells it in the city, right? Interesting uh, question going back to what we were just talking about a second ago is, how do you see architects... Um, architect of their own businesses, those who choose to start their own business, um, do you find architects are actually architecting um, entrepreneurship in a in a different designed way? I, I, I never thought of it that way, but the architects I know in business seem to run good business, <laughs> you know, so uh, well, what do you see? Bit, to be honest, this has been a bit of a weakness because architecture is, is a tough business in its, in its conventional form because architects uh, are like other professions, like law, uh, probably close, you know, somewhere, you know, being an architect somewhere between being a, a, a musician and being a lawyer <laughs> in, in terms of the, the business prospects, because there's a creative aspect that you have to convince people to pay you for and to pay and, and to pay for the, the time to develop the ideas and not, let's say, there aren't a lot of real estate developers that are going to pay you uh, endlessly to, to develop the form of their projects. So it's a tough business on the margins, um, and so you you have what's going on in architecture is, hap- is the same as it's happening in other professions where where some of the companies are getting larger and operating on on smaller margins, and then at the other end you have people who, because of technology, can operate with much smaller offices and be and act in a more consulting capacity. So even the business of architecture. Is changing and um, and it can it can be challenging in terms of levels of profitability, but the ability of an architect that is not running an architecture firm to be, to to advise and be successful in a larger business environment, I think, is another question. And that's why we, in a way, changed our school. We have still a very leading professional program in architecture at the graduate level, but we have a very broad base undergraduate program where what we're trying to prepare is people who some of them will go into architecture as a field, but others who would go into business or public policy or, or um, you know, other kinds of creative fields and use the base of their education, their ability to understand the way the city works as, as a preparation for, for other kinds of success. And the way that you see many people who study engineering end up, end up leading large companies, right? Because of the, they, the because of their ability to think systematically and to measure, right? That's that's a skill that an engineer has. Um, you know, and I was thinking. Um, so the the folks from Acre Architect introduced us to you, Richard. So they would be. And I'm just thinking back to that that original question Greg had about you know building a bit an architecture business, right? And and uh, and 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 they've been co-hosts with us, and they have done brilliantly well, and they're 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 doing fabulous things in our region. You know, as an example of someone who and, appears and, to be doing right. And the it way right. they do business is different. Yeah, uh, and it's it's more thoughtful. There's uh, 
I'm not just saying that because they're good friends of mine, but and I'm also making assumptions that many other architect firms are the same, Richard. So uh, excuse me on that one as well. But, uh, but no, I, no, no, I know I know their work, and and, and they're in, they're in a, in a in a in a city and environment where you know there isn't a lot of conventional work. I mean, here in Toronto, you know, they're putting up condominiums every day. Uh, they have been extremely innovative in in working with communities and finding ways to use space temporarily to carve out a kind of. Um, architecture or possibilities in the city which other people couldn't imagine right yeah yeah i know they and they're just you know so that that's an interesting question to pose to them but but the other idea is is using the the education to in support of maybe a more traditional business uh that's that would you know wouldn't nec- you know that would wouldn't necessarily touch that world mm. it's very interesting to me what for those of us that that won't have the probably the experience of going to an architecture school um how would you recommend? And but they're saying, Jesus, idea of lateral thinking. Like that's like, how how can I develop my lateral thinking? Um, is that something, in your opinion, that that can be done in other ways? And if so, how? It used to be, you know, twenty five, fifty years ago, the schools of architecture were thought to be, you know, it was like a, 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 a something that was done at a technical institute, and they were a bit of an outlier or in in large research universities, which either were oriented towards, uh, shall we say, reading or text-based modes of ideation, or towards mathematics-based modes of ideation, which are which hew uh, more to the sciences. So the science and the humanities were the center of what universities do, and there was some suspicion, especially in English-speaking countries, about um, let's say visual literacy, you know, the, the artist, uh, or even musical literacy. But these these are things that are very intuitive and that don't have a place in, you know, in in in, in places of higher learning. Um, and uh, I'm not I'm not making this up because many of the universities come out of uh, actually they, they come out of the ecclesiastical tradition, uh, you know, and study uh, and scholars were were you know before the 19th century uh, uh, scholars of of, of of religion, right? Mm. So, so, and uh, how shall I put it? Art was thought to be a little bit carnal, right? Mm-hmm. So now uh, I think there's an acknowledgement that the the ability to study the world in, in graphic terms, and physical terms, and material terms is a, is an important intellectual skill, and it is it has the potential to be uh, I think the term one of you used uh, sort of synthetic or uh, uh, provide a kind of integration to solve the kinds of problems we face now. So in some ways, the 20th century was a century of, 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 of professions, of professionalization. We had, you know, um, medicine, law, you know, medicine solved problems of human disease, law solved, solved problems of human equity and, 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 uh, and, and um, you know, uh, civil rights. Um, Engineering solved problems of, you know, uh, large-scale tr- physical transformations, whether we're talking about highways or sewer systems. And uh, so, and they did those things very well within their envelope, right? Now, let's take, for example, engineering and highways. So highways were a brilliant solution to a very narrowly defined problem that has now caused other problems, right? Like traffic or uh, climate change, you know, just to, to name a few. So the problems now are about okay, you know, whether we're talking about self-driving cars or or or, or traffic reduction or introducing healthier lifestyles into into our built environment. What's the way of thinking that is not just either engineering or policy and law based or or 
that, that, that can bring some of those talents together. And that's, that's what the architect does even uh, on a large building or, or uh, infrastructure project. Doesn't necessarily have the deep expertise in one of those areas, but it brings all of those factors together, right? And for the big problems of, you know, um, our ecological challenges, social uh, equity challenges, they require that kind of joined up thinking. And, and, and so yeah. we would hope, does that make sense? Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it, you're just painting such an interesting picture for education. Like, if I could rewind and take architecture, uh, you know, in, in university. It is so robust what you're saying, you know, like there's there's so many different sciences and arts and like it, it's such a, a rounded education. And it also reminds me a little bit of the marketing agency approach in a way where, uh, you know, somebody can be very a creative director can be strategic. They may or may not have any graphic design skills or film skills mm -hmm. or whatever, but they certainly know the right practitioners for that particular job to pull together. And in a way, that feels like an architect, a creative director, as an example, in a marketing studio. Yes, very much so, because no architect will ever have, you know, you're talking about the design of a train station, for example. No single person uh, or any large building complex would ever have the technical um, uh, knowledge or, or virtuosity, if you will, to, to take on all of those challenges. You have to be... Uh, an organizer and a connector and a bringer together of talent, right? Uh, it's really about constructing that table and that process. And hi highly collaborative, I I'd expect, as well. Yes, yes. So mean? we're doing that. Well, that's one of the things our building has allowed. If you want to talk about, you know, um, uh, challenges and interesting things that have been happening at the school, something I did, which uh, was a little bit controversial when we moved from our old school to our new school. The old school had... had um, we all had the guests that were associated with architecture schools a generation ago, or actually for almost 100 years, which architects used to draw with these parallel rules, they're like T-squares, and they and they have the desk, and, the, and you've all seen them in the old pictures, right? And then they have storage under the desk, and then they have a kind of surround in the desk. So everyone had their, I call them a corral that they worked in, and the idea was they were toiling away by themselves at those desks. So we, uh, I, uh, we didn't quite throw them out. Uh, we kept the desks and we, we uh, cannibalized them and made them into other desks uh, or elsewhere. And for our, for our professional students, we made new desks where there were no partitions and where we took the storage out from the desk and collectivized it uh, so that, I don't want to say forced because that's not a big word, so that we changed the, way, the, the level of interaction between the students in what we call studios because uh, the center of our curriculum at the school it is something we call studio, where, where students are given a problem, you know, designed six million square feet of uh, of, of, uh, of housing, or design a, an uh, archive for the city of Toronto, or design a food, di food distribution center, and they work through all the stages to examine that problem, starting with the research of the problem, and then, then working with um, a, a series of models, and in many cases, in many architecture schools, each student would be doing that alone, right? And we still do that because it's important to take them through that process. But here, what we're doing more and more is having students uh, take on certain parts of that role and then coming together, especially for larger projects, at that table and uh, working collabor collaboratively on that. And you see that certainly that's a model we know from film school, where if, if, if some of the better film schools, 
you know, everyone has to at some point, you know, write, they direct, and they do the cinematography, and uh, and and they even take on the, the producer role. So they understand how how something uh, that complex is done. And making a building is not is not you know is, is has some kinship with with filmmaking or or with or with uh, even uh, being a restaurateur because you have to bring so many things together and you deal very much with um, with the kind of infrastructure of, of production. It's also like film because you know at least commercial films require a great deal of uh, getting investment and getting people to trust. You know, putting a lot of money into doing something, which is a risky prospect, right? It's, it's interesting. You're you know um, earlier we were talking, uh, Greg and I were talking about a, a course he's putting together called Filmpreneur, and it's essentially I think kind of has some of the elements Richard's talking about, which is how do you be creative, but then how do you how do you scale and operationalize your business and, and get all these different and elements with in? social impact in mind, right? Yeah. Like that's a that's a combination that we're not taught in film school. <laughs> you know that that right. you can make films, but we aren't taught how are they going to directly impact society um, and how are you going to create it in a business that's profitable. So I'm I'm thinking, Richard, as you're as you're speaking, I'm I'm really kind of excited to reexamine. As I build up this new this new uh, venture, this micro venture of mine, to really think of it from an architect's mind, you know, uh, how is the how are we going to design this next thing? And what a cool thing for any of us as entrepreneurs to think, you know, even to connect with other architects socially and talk about business problems with architects, whole different yeah. way of of solving problems. Yeah, I mean, one of the exercises I do with students uh, um, is. I give them very large uh, urban uh, urban sites that have a lot of development pressure on them. Uh, here, uh, an area called the Well, and then in front of it, something that is proposed and proposed as um, it's a rail uh, a rail deck park. So the rail deck park is a city initiative, but the city doesn't really have money to build it. Toronto's densifying so much that it needs to build another park, and the only place to build it is over this uh, rail deck, which has all sorts of competing, you know. Um, uh, Rail and uh, other landowners who who all claim that they have the rights to develop that area, right? So it's politically complex. So the students, in a sense, before they even start designing, need to figure out who's who's the who are the constituencies, who is the market, and who, who actually is it they would be designing for because it's not so clear, right? Hmm. And I think you have to do that for, for for the creation of any business, right? Like who, who's your market, you know, who's your catchment area, you know, all, all those things, right? Well, it's, and, and instead of just jumping to a solution, and it just sounds like doing your due diligence in a, in a yeah, I really like that. You um, have to redefine the problem. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, um, so, you know, we're at the end, and we didn't even get into um, your work with, um, you know, the, the research around monument making, because we did touch on that before. And, uh, yes. you know, and just a f- that's, that, that's a hot topic. We, you know, we didn't touch on also, um, it, it, we got to be in our last conversation was that, uh, I grew up in, in, in my, my father was a businessman. He had, uh, he had, uh, commercial, uh, electronics and high five stores. And, um, and I really wanted to leave business and go into architecture, but in the work I'm doing here and building the school, I've had to return to all the things that I learned as a very young person working for my father uh, in a retail business, which is very complex in terms of its relationships to suppliers and the city and customers. And so, uh, so that's my, that's my, I was, I was cultivated as a, you know, the young person to be, to go, to be a business person. And then, and then I decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do. But now I realize, uh, 
um, it's something um, that I had to draw on in my work here as a leading school. That is really cool. And you know what, Richard? I think it's worth just, let's have a, a real quick dive into monuments because especially in Canada right now, it is such mm-hmm. a hot topic. And, you know, specifically Cornwallis and Halifax, uh, the, the statue of Cornwallis uh, finally being appropriately, uh, in, in many people's uh, perspective, taken down. Um, but uh, in other camps, uh, you know, there's different perspectives. So why don't you run, run through this? Really interesting topic before we close well, out. Uh, let's see if I can do it very, you know, uh, quickly. So I sort of stumbled onto this problem um, years ago. It's a topic I was interested in, you know, I read about when I was a student. Um, in a sense, this monument making is, was the pinnacle in the 19th century of what, uh, of what an architect could do because it was the most symbolic, um, you know, form of classical architecture was, was the making of monuments that sort of, uh, in fact, whole cities, the you know, capital of Paris, the house of Paris, was conceived of as a system of uh, kind of monumental spaces, right? So the, pro- the problem with that is uh, that monument making and monuments really all often thought of to celebrate, if you will, the victors, the people, the people that succeeded or, or that dominated uh, through war or religion, right? And in a democratic society, uh, we would aspire to actually representing uh, a more diverse and, 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 a, and a less, uh, shall we say, authoritarian idea of, 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 of history, right? So that, that's what, that was so my, my work on the, on the democratization or the problem of the democratic monument, which doesn't just celebrate, you know, military heroes and, and, uh, and uh, you know, those who have, who have been able to write the story of history, but is not retrieving histories of people who maybe have been oppressed or, or who, whose stories haven't been told. Uh, and then the problem comes, what form should that take? Because when you, know, when you make that into a stone monument, even the form has a certain implication because people have you know, that, that has certain uh, illusions for people. So the most interesting forms of monument making have used technology. I mean, one of the greatest monuments in the last, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, I would say, is, uh, if you can all remember this, uh, um, the name's Project AIDS Quilt, right? Uh, people were invited to make a, a quilt for, for a friend or a loved one that uh, died of AIDS in the 1980s. Oh, right, yeah. And they kept assembling it, remember, on the, on the, yeah. on the mall in Washington, D.C., right, and it got yeah. bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. But it was a temporary monument. Now it's stored somewhere. It could still be displayed. But that was a kind of, that was a kind of collective act. And, and the, the, the sort of more ancient history of monuments is that, is that they actually were ritualistic in that way. So that's why it's important when we have monuments that are celebrating people that oppress other people that, 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 we, that we actually come to terms with them, either recontextualize them or in some cases take them down. I, I think that's... Oh, sorry, Dave. Just, no, I was just going to say, like, like, the burning... Like, as you're describing this and, and just the role of monuments, I'm just thinking of, like, an example that comes to my mind is, um, you know, when, when I guess it would have probably been Baghdad it fell and, you know, right. and, and they were liberated yeah. according, you know, to the... They pulled down all, the, all those statues of Saddam Hussein. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I was... And, we, I mean, and those are the images that were captured and, and, and them, you know, hitting the, the monument with the shoes, which I guess is, um, you know, kind of symbolic in itself, right? And, but, but, but that was the first thing, you know, that, that I recall happening. And I just, I just... I guess I never really recognized um, the power of a monument. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. Well, that's, but that, that's, that's, that's a process that is as old as, you know, uh, Rome, right? 
what would happen is the conquering the conquering forces would come in and there'd be an obelisk, and on the obelisk was the inscriptions of the people who were in power, and they would erase those and put their own on them, right? So, uh, you know, this is, it's really, so, so that's important. In fact, my work on this started, I got a fellowship to, to go to, um, Germany and to, to travel on the two sides of the Iron Curtain right after the wall came down. And all those, uh, formerly communist countries collected all of those, you know, monuments of the, of the, of the kind of you know, Soviet and other leaders. And they put them in, in basically, um, monument cemeteries. Or gardens, they just like hauled them off, and you could go and see them all in a kind of you know pile. That's that's where this started for me, actually. Yeah, that is really really cool. And, and you know what? I I was listening on CBC to a uh, a First Nations elder historian uh, when the Cornwallis uh, statue was coming down or monument was coming down, and he was not opposed. He was just like where it is right now. It's in a place of honor and and celebration of this of the founder of Halifax, who was also. Uh, a decimator uh, of uh, of humans, uh, you know, of, of First mm-hmm. Nations people. So that's why that's why it was, it was such a um, a strong debate. But even the elder, he was saying it's not about destroying the monuments. It's it's like you exactly. said, Richard. It's about recontextualizing them. And he said maybe there's a a museum some somewhere in the city where these these the the full story can be told about what this monument means, but not in the place of. Victor, you know, like 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 you said, and uh, uh, or of you know, we, we celebrate this monument, but things change, you know, decades go on, and sometimes monuments aren't appropriate anymore. Uh, so what a neat field that is. We, and there's so we, many fascinating stories. I mean, in um, there's something called Devil's Tower, which is one of the first uh, monuments to be designated uh, under the under under the Antiquities Act of the United States. That was a sacred site for uh, for Native Americans, um, uh, and certainly calling it a, a, a Devil's Tower was uh, not the right thing to do. But they had a whole other way of of relating to and experiencing and celebrating that site, right? So, so, yeah, it's, so it's I, really I, I, you know, we, we, we've gone over, which is great. And I was thinking, you know, because this is a, I mean, such a big topic. This is a, this is two podcasts into itself, right? <laughs> um, but thank yeah. you for, 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 uh, you know, kind of trying to, I guess, even just narrow it down a little bit to it, but it's, there's so much there on that. But how do people like, so listeners are hearing about this and are curious about your school about you, Richard, how do they best um, learn more about, you know, the work you do and uh, and potentially, you know, reach out to you um, uh, directly? Well, the best thing to do, uh, you know, they, they can, they can uh, Google me and some of my articles will come up, uh, but the best thing they can do is to, to find out about me and other, other people that are doing incredible work in our faculty is go to our website, which is, you know, www.danielsfaculty.com. Uh, at U of T, uh, and we have a new website which is extremely interactive. They can they can move through it to see our both our undergraduate and our graduate student work. Uh, they can get a real sense of the place. There's a, a presentation on this new building uh, site that I referred to. So most of the links and the uh, are there. Um, and of course, there would also be uh, email and other ways of uh, and other social media if they wanted to ask me specific questions. Wonderful. Okay. Well, listen, Rich, thank you so much. And thanks for agreeing to come back on for round two. It was very worth doing well, again. I, I, I hope it was as good as the first time. <laughs> I think it was better. It oh, was yeah, better. Yeah, it was, okay. it was Actually, the first good. time was really good too. Yeah. But, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll say that because 
because no one will ever no know. There's no proof about what happened the first time. <laughs> Although it was very intriguing. It, it is a time. monument that has been uh, destroyed in the uh, <laughs> yeah. into the, the exactly. Fear. It was temporary. Yeah. It was temporary. temporary yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Richard. Have a great one. Okay. 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 Take Thanks. care. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye bye. I'm my takeaway is really that um, concept of architects connecting it to how we build our businesses, being really intentional but the design of our business and our services. And yeah, I, I, I like it. Like my, my head's kind of spinning on it a little bit, but I, I want to start thinking about this more. I love the idea of this whole concept of lateral thinking and, you know, and, and just the, I just, you know, I guess how the, the train, you know, the, the curriculum and how the different, you know, the, what you're exposed to at architecture school would, would probably yeah, I'm as I listen to him, it gives you like a new lens to look at, uh, like a business issue, challenge, right? Opportunity, whatever, uh, you know. So I, I, you know, and he, what did he just and he's the guy has got um, an incredible depth, eh? <laughs> like I mean, yeah. like we kind of jump to monuments, and I'm, I know well, that, a that, that, that's a huge conversation on its own. <laughs> oh man, totally, totally. So and he was very kind. Thank you, Richard, if you're listening, for for uh, coming back on. And my only fear. Is what? <laughs> is it something happens this fight? No, that won't happen. Come <laughs> okay. on now. All right, Come on. good. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Greg. Good good hanging with you as always. Yeah, you too, man. And uh, yeah, next week. We don't know what's going on next. doesn't even matter. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. Um, keep, that bot bo keep that bot boiling, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.